Welcome to Women in the Arena podcast, the podcast celebrating women doing extraordinary things in plain sight. I'm your host, Audra Egan, and our mission is to elevate the value, strength, and resilience each woman brings to the world. Without further delay, let's go ahead and start the show. Welcome in, everyone, and welcome to Season 4 of Women in the Arena podcast. I shared with you that I am going to challenge myself this season and definitely push myself even further outside of my comfort zone. Well, this week, I'm ripping the Band-Aid off, and I'm jumping right in. You'll hear in the interview today that I didn't get it all right today. I just didn't. But that is part of the learning process, and I hope that you all learned something with today's interview, too. So let me not delay anymore, and let's go ahead and start the show. Welcome in, everyone, and thank you so much for joining me again this week. This week, I am joined by just an amazing, compassionate woman. I'm joined this week by Tony Autry, and she is an unexpected director. She was recently affected by the the lack of compassion in regards to the experiences that our Black brothers and sisters are going through, and she sought out to tell her story. And unbeknownst to her, a, a film director heard her story and said, let's turn it into a movie. So she and her co-director are producing a movie called Unlearn, and it's a story about educating both sides, hearing each other's stories, and joining in compassion. It is my absolute pleasure and honor to introduce to you Tony Autry. Tony, thank you so much for joining me today and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Tony, thank you so much for being here. I am so moved by your story, and what I would love for you to do is share with the audience about the the circumstances and the situation that led up to you creating a movie, and and what in a, a remarkable movie it is. Thank you. Um, so, I, honestly, I shared my story on Facebook of my first experience of racism. And that story was actually when I was seven years old. Um, I was invited to a sleepover by some of uh, one of my friends. I had three friends. We did everything together. And I was excited. I went home. I told my mom about it. It was kind of like my first real, you know, big sleepover. And I get to school and the girl that invited me was in tears. And... I asked her what was wrong, and she told me that I could not come to her sleepover because her grandmother said that she could not have a little black girl in her house because black people steal. I my my face dropped because I I I've not heard that I was not I was not raised with that, but you are from the south, so it's a very different experience. Yes, yes, and um, my mom had to explain racism to me at seven years old. So when George Floyd was murdered, 
I saw on my Facebook people that I've gone to school with, people that I've like known and loved my whole life, kind of dismiss it, um, really not understanding the capacity of it. It was, you know, well, if he would have just done this um, sort of attitude. And that's just, they relegated it to, well, I know successful black people. So if he would have just done this, or if he would just would have been those people, he wouldn't deal with racism. And so I wanted to share my story because yes, I have an education. I am um, fortunate to have, you know, a mother that was very supportive and taught me the right things, but I still experience racism. And just because it's, you know, I'm not, I guess, an outcry of it, or, you know, didn't really express it. And maybe too many people that are educated and that have um, from the black community, you know, haven't spoke up enough. They just kind of, there's people that really thought that racism didn't exist for successful black people um, or black people in any capacity. It's like, it was this underlying like racism doesn't exist. And I wanted to point out, no, it does exist. And these are instances and a story, a story that I have. And I have several more, but that was just my first one. And I wanted to make it very clear that I was an innocent child that experienced racism. So it does happen. How, first of all, how did you process that? As a seven-year-old, I mean, my feelings yeah. were hurt. Um, but I also, because she was crying, I did not cry. I did not show that I was upset because she was already upset with delivering the news. Um, I told her it would be okay and that they would have a good time anyway. Um, And when I got home, my mom could tell something was bothering me. And I told her what happened and that I wasn't going to the sleepover anymore. And that's when she explained it to me. How did she explain that? I mean, that's a very, that's a, that's a really heavy subject to to describe to any child that you were seven and clearly had no idea that this even existed because you had friends that you played with every single day and your kids all you knew is that you enjoyed these little girls and you were having a good time and you were going to go to a sleepover and then your mom had to break Mm -hmm. this horrible news to you how how did she do that um the way that she did it because i mean again i was seven um it was Some people in this area in particular, sometimes they have their way of thinking. Um, It's clear that, you know, your friend does not have this way of thinking because she plays with you. Um, But there are some older people that were taught a certain way and they believe certain things. And you know that you don't steal. You know that those things are not your character. So you hold on to that. So it's not true about you, but in some instance that has come across and you don't have to not be friends with that little girl. Um, But, and it's not her that said it, it was her grandparent. And because she's older, she may have a different mindset and you don't have to think of yourself as a thief because you know that you're not. That's a lot Mm -hmm. for a, for a child to process. A lot. Mm-hmm. And but it obviously affected you because this story, this this story of your very first experience as a child was what you told on social media. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there is this falsehood that successful black Americans don't experience racism. And you said, I I beg to differ. 
So what was the response to that story? I'm sure that there were a lot of people that were shocked. There were a lot of people that responded. And actually, one of the girls that was in the group that I played with responded. And I remember her saying, you know, my mother and I were talking about this and she had a party and sleepover and she made her mother and their parents made sure that I knew that I was welcome, that I was invited. And they talked about that. And she's a teacher now, which is, you know, it kind of shows the difference in the parenting styles. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had a lot of outpouring, like, I'm so sorry. You know, it kind of took off like, you know, different likes and loves. And I hate that this happened to you. And even people that were kind of combative could see like, well, I know this person. I know this said black person. (laughs) She's a very nice person. Um, she is very educated. And if this happened to her, it's kind of like light bulb, like, okay, maybe racism does exist. Yeah. It's difficult to deny when you're like, oh, I, but I know you and you're successful and this happened to you. Mm -hmm. And this is just the first story. I know that you've had probably hundreds of, Mm -hmm. of situations that have come across, but you shared this story and it was so impactful that a director came to you because Mm -hmm. this is what I love about your approach to this. You put your story out there, not in the position of, see, I told you so. You put this story out there in a position of compassion, of humility, because you recognize there was a lot of misunderstanding out there, misinformation, and you decided to help educate. And this, a director saw your story and said, let's make this into a film. So uh, what did you do when you're like, uh, you have someone approaching you saying, I want to tell your story in film form. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, it actually was not even supposed to be a movie, even at that point. It was, we're, why don't we capture some of these stories and have people kind of tell their first experience of racism and make like a short, you know, film to just throw on social media or something, you know, just to share and have different stories. And as we were interviewing, um, and there was so much going on in the summer and the protest and... Um, the way people were responding, it ended up as we're interviewing the director and I, uh, Martin, we look at each other and we're like, this is a movie. Like there is too much being uncovered to put this just in a short on social media. We actually are uncovering issues and deep diving into racism from all different perspectives, um, all different nationalities in all different types of experiences. Um, When you ask someone their first experience of racism, like ask them that to tell their story, it uncovers so much because you're one, you're kind of going back into their childhood or things that happened. And it makes them think about kind of their route to where they are now. So there's a lot of emotion um, in real emotion and raw emotion that is revealed. Um, and that is what I think makes people lack compassion because people are so guarded and they're so worried about what people think typically, um, that they don't really open up that way. You would never know what's going on inside of them or, you know, something that may have triggered them as as a child. Um, I had 
someone that shared in their 60s. And when we got done, she goes, that was so relieving. Like, I have never talked about racism. Wow. In 60 years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Are, are there any stories that you are comfortable in sharing with us? Any that are, that have, that touched you so much that you, that stay with you? Yeah. Um, there was one lady, um, Denalja James, she shared her first experience of racism and she had grown up in like a Northern state and she had moved to, um, I want to say Mississippi and she was just singing and walking to the store And so she, you know, she's 12 years old, 12 years old, going to the store for her mom. She's just singing to herself and walking and she, um, you know, it's country. So she just cut through a yard and a man came out with a shotgun, cocked it at her and said, you little nigger bitch, if you ever go across my yard, I will kill you. Oh my gosh. She had never heard the word nigger before she had never been called a bitch before she was 12 yeah she was 12 and like even when she's telling it I could see in her face and I mean I got chills as soon because I didn't know I I didn't know she was gonna that was gonna be her first story so I asked her this and I mean as soon as she said I mean like chills all over my body because you think about yourself as a 12 year old and if you put yourself in that person's shoes at that age How terrifying would that be to have a gun cocked at you as you're just singing and walking to the store, thinking that you're just minding your business, being completely innocent, doing nothing wrong? Oh, my gosh. That that takes the wind out of me a little bit. It does. Yeah. I I have to say, because I'm trying to picture myself as a Mm 12-year-old, and I have two children, Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to picture them as 12-year-olds, and I'm... I, I, I don't even know what to say. Yeah. That, and that, that's how, I mean, I, I literally got chills all over when she said it. Cause I'm just, you're 12 and a grown up, a grown person cocked a gun at you. And the reality is, is that it was a grown man. He could, he could have been mm-hmm. just as terrifying going out there in, in his yard and yelling at her, but he decided to, mm-hmm. to, you know, definitely punctuate the point holding a rifle. Mm-hmm. At a child, yeah, I, I I need to catch my breath there on that one because that one just, yeah, um, yeah I, I I'm trying to put myself in her shoes and it terrifies me, absolutely terrifies me. Um, yeah. After she told her story, how did she feel? Uh, she felt, you know, I could tell that it's still like it's still terrifying. Like that's, that's very traumatic. You could see the fear as she was telling it. Um, and she's a very strong woman. She shared her story, um, as well, as far as, uh, discrimination that she's been through discrimination that her sons have been through. She felt better releasing it. And I think that's a lot of it too. When you are a black person, you're relegated to not talk about it. Because if you talk about it and you make white people uncomfortable or if you make other races uncomfortable, well, then sometimes you're pegged as difficult to work with. Um, People kind of gaslight you and make it seem like, you know, you're just you shouldn't have these emotions. You should be able to kind of push it down. And it's like we have to push down so much as white people um, in that aspect when it comes to emotions that it's 
a relief and it is a release to just get it out, to not feel like you're having to hold it for other people's comfortability. Cause it's like, well, can we be comfortable at some point? How, how does that affect people long time over the, over the long term of holding that in? I'm getting this, this mental image of holding your breath for a lifetime. So have they been able Mm -hmm. to express to you what kind of long-term effects that they've had because of it? Um, not, not necessarily long-term effects. I think it comes across in the film and the interviews that they haven't talked about it. And this is maybe the first time they're talking about it. You get an insight of kind of the psyche behind the scenes of what they're, what they have been holding on to. And you can kind of feel the release and the relief as it comes out because these aren't rehearsed. These are not scripted. The only person that knows the questions that are going to be asked is me going on to the set. So anytime we do an interview, the interviewee has not heard the question. So it's their first initial gut reaction. And you actually get to experience that. So you're getting the raw emotion behind anything that they're going through, any story that they're telling and their direct gut reaction to the questions. So you are experiencing with them probably an emotion that they've never released before. Mm-hmm. What an intense moment that is. That you were sitting there mm-hmm. with them having that moment. Not only do I find that very intense, I actually find that very beautiful. Because you are holding space. You have been granted permission, if you will, to hold space with them in that very sacred moment. I I think that that is a beautiful opportunity. And I know that that sounds odd because we're talking about racism, but I see the beauty in that because you're giving them this remarkable grace. How has this affected you? For me, when we leave interviews, typically I am, I'm kind of like on a, on a high, like exhilarated because it's like, that's one more story that's uncovered something. Um, And there's still, it's like hope because they'll reveal something that it's like, that's what we were trying to get across every single time. It's like, that's the piece that we, we needed to get across to connect the dots. And it's so crazy because we've done almost 30 interviews and there'll be certain things. It's like that connected that dot that goes with that, that answers that question from that last one. So it's very hopeful because it's like, you get to see it kind of come together and you get to see the impact that it will make on a person watching it for the first time, seeing all these different people, because when you have that many people, you're going to relate with someone in it. And I just ask that when you do watch it, as they're telling their stories, put yourself in their shoes. Try to. Try to put yourself in, especially when they're telling their first stories of racism, put yourself at that age and think about how you would have reacted and how that would have affected you and how that would have hurt your feelings. And then think about the fact that they overcame it, continued on with life, continued to make those strides. And to understand that if that happened to you, you may not have been able to make it 
to where they were. That's very true. I hear that a lot. Like, well, we all have the same opportunities. We do, in a sense. Um, But there are a lot of obstacles and hurdles that black and brown people have to overcome to, to get to that other side. And when you hear the hurdles and obstacles that some of these people have been through, you'll understand it a bit more. It's not an argument. It's not telling anyone that anyone's wrong. And it's like, like you said, you know, I'm bringing it in a sense where I want you to understand it's about educating. It's about, it's called unlearn for a reason. Like it's to unlearn so you can learn the consequences of racism and then understand that you need to unlearn some of what you've been taught or what you have basically subconsciously maybe taken in and stereotypes and prejudices and just unlearn those behaviors so we can stop having the consequences of racism. So we can all have the same opportunities. Yeah. What, what I find this to be overwhelmingly humbling for me is these stories and yours included are all very painful stories. And most of them are experiences that they're sh- sharing with you that from their childhood. What overwhelms me and like I said, makes me feel completely humble is that you could have taken a very, very different approach to this. It could have been angry. It could have been uh, accusational. It could have been all of these things, but it's not. You and all of your participants are coming to this space out of a desire to educate and to help others understand and unlearn what we have unconsciously taken in. That, like I said, is very humbling because it could be a very different experience. And you looked at your your white brothers and sisters and said, I'm going to teach you. I want to take a step back and I want to teach you. Do you know how amazing that is? And it really wasn't, it wasn't even really that approach. At that time, when this was, when we started this, I had just read The Four Agreements um, by Don Miguel Ruiz, which if you have not read it, it is, The Four Agreements are be impeccable with your word, don't make assumptions, don't take things personally, and always do your best. So be impeccable with your word, not gossiping, not only saying what you mean, mean what you say. Assumptions, don't make assumptions. If you have questions, just ask. You shouldn't assume anything about a person unless you've asked or you actually know. Don't take things personally. Well, yeah, I could go back and forth with you on Facebook and have an argument, but what good is that doing? Because you're projecting at that point. Typically when people are lashing out or something like that, it's more of a projection. It's not really what you're doing at all. So you think about someone that's irate and someone's argumentative. Well, if you argue back with them, are they going to hear anything that you said? Likely not. No. So in that instance, you can't be argumentative. You have to provide education pieces and facts. And the the other book that I was reading was Skill in Action by Michelle Cassandra Johnson, which we actually got to interview her uh, last week, which was really awesome. She is um, a yoga instructor and she um, social work. 
And she created a book called Skill in Action and basically calls yoga teachers and people that are in yoga to do activism and explains, you know, what white supremacy is, what privilege is, and gives, you know, kind of the assumptions in the world and how it is. And at that time, I had read both of those things. So it's like, this is the space that will actually help people listen and hear. Because when you're yelling at someone and you're being combative, they don't hear you. All they hear is the angry tone. So you have to create a space for people to be able to listen and hear. And this is the way to do it through human experiences, because somehow in the lack of compassion that we've had here of late, we wanted to create some sort of empathetic empathy within society to get the message across. And the only way you can do that is really going through the human experiences and hearing them from different humans and not the media or you know, politicians and things like that telling you what someone is trying to do. Let's hear it from the actual people. Yeah, because it's hard to deny that we've all been 12. And we can all put ourselves in a 12-year-old's head. And it's hard to deny that the experience that your interviewee went through was terrifying and horrifying, and probably walked with her, her her entire life. It's really, really hard to say it doesn't exist when you put yourself in those shoes. Really hard. And, and I am just so impressed that you had the thought to realize that what we needed more than more anger and more yelling was an empathetic space. And that took a lot of courage on your part. Like I said, I don't know if you even know that how much courage that took. No, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank it, you. It, it could have very well have been something else, but your goal from what I understand is to actually get people to listen. So uh, beyond that, what would you like to see when the movie is released? What would you like the result to be? from that social change. I mean, it black people will have to stop being killed. I mean that I, <laughs> there's really no other way to, to frame it. Um, we have to understand that racism exists. You have to listen and actually understand there's a problem in order to get to a solution. So I want the gaslighting to stop. I want real solutions in place. So again, we can all have the same opportunity. If you want to stop hearing about racism, let's end it. We can end racism and no one, no one would talk about it ever again. That's true. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you're going to keep hearing about it until it is resolved. Understand that there's a difference in the way that maybe you as a white person were brought up and the things that you had to deal with in comparison to a black person. And there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to be offended. You don't have to, I promise you, you do not want the struggles of a black person. You do not want to be oppressed. So don't be offended by the fact that it happened. Just recognize it and be respectful of it and move forward and do things to make it move forward. 
don't allow your friends to tell racist jokes in your companies. If you see that only that there's corporate nepotism and there's only white people being, you know, promoted, maybe look for a different company or bring it to someone's attention. If you're in a position of power as a white person, say something about it. Because as a black person, I'm lucky to just have a job. So I can't say anything about it. I couldn't, you know, and that's where I've, I kind of got to an age where, okay, I've towed the line. I've done what I'm supposed to do because that's what I was taught. So that way, you know, you could be successful. You could get the education. But my silence and my um, being complicit, which a lot of my peers around my age, I'm 35. That's kind of w- why we're speaking out now, because it's like we did what we were supposed to do, because that's what our parents told us to do. So we can get ahead and we can get the education. And then we realize, okay, we did it and we're still being gunned down and things still haven't changed for black people. So now we have to say something because just because we didn't say something in a corporate setting or in school um, to not be labeled difficult to work with or be dismissed from a job or, you know, start to get blackballed in a sense, we had to start speaking out because things aren't changing. Like we got to speak out. And if you're white, it is your responsibility to speak out as well. Like just because it doesn't necessarily affect you personally doesn't mean it doesn't affect you. And I think we need to understand that like racism affects everyone. Can you expand on that for just a minute? Because what you just said was so significant (laughs) that it it bears more explanation to that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, just because racism doesn't affect you personally, like you're not personally black, doesn't mean that it does not affect you. Racism affects society as far as finances, economic wealth, growth in the country. Like it's, it affects everything. I'm actually reading a book by Heather McGee called The Some of Us. And she it is the subtitle is What Racism Costs Everyone. And when there are different, if there are gaps, it affects everything economically. Like we will not be able to progress and move forward as a country if racism continues. So it has to be eliminated. You want to talk about the national debt? One way to resolve it is to close these gaps in society where black people can have some wealth too and and open it up. It should be space for everyone. You can't keep putting black people in certain areas and not developing those places in the county in the area, underdeveloped neighborhoods, gentrification, like that does not, it it does nothing but increase homelessness, creates more crime in different areas, creates mental health issues. So, I mean, you can stay in your bubble all you want to, but it still affects you because there's still those outlying areas that you are not in that you've probably pushed black people to that still make up part of your county or your borough or however it is, wherever you're at, but it has to be addressed. Wow. I had no idea. I'm, I'm learning so much just from our conversation. Uh, And I think, and this is just my own opinion. I think that there is a falsehood that says, and, and it's the same thing with amongst women too, is that, if you win, then there must be less for me. And that's wrong. I've said that from day one, that when you win, we all win. Because when you get the next promotion and you make more 
you make more income, more income goes out into the world and can do more stuff. You know, you get taxed on that and you can build better roads and schools and whatnot. So same as it is amongst women, it's amongst all of us. We, when, when you win, I win. It's a, it literally is a win-win situation, but there's a falsehood in my opinion that people assume that if they win, I lose. And that's, I think that's Mm -hmm. incorrect. It is incorrect. And actually in the book, the sum of us, Heather McGee goes, it's a whole chapter, the zero sum hierarchy rule. And it's this mentality that has been, well, if black and brown people are elevated, then white people lose everything. Mathematically, that can't happen. Like we know the wage gap between the white dollar and the black dollar and the Hispanic dollar and black women and white men and black men and white men. Like there's no way, even if we get some of the piece of the pie, their, their dollar is still here. So there's no, there's no way that that can happen. Like it doesn't, it doesn't even make sense mathematically. If you look at it that way, there's no way that if black or brown people get more, that it's going to take something like it doesn't work that way. You have job satisfaction. You start having people that are loyal to their companies, you know, that you start being able to spend more on education. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that goes into it economically. I mean, it's just it's it's a science. It's economics. It's not. It's not, um, while it is, it is, it socially affects people too, but at the base of it, it's science. It's science. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's Mm -hmm. silly to assume that, that because you get more, I get less. That's dumb. That's really dumb. Um, and I'm so glad that you're here educating us just a little bit because that is one of the reasons why I felt it was so important that we do this conversation because this is one that many haven't heard. Everybody hears the yelling and the screaming and the accusations. I don't know that anybody has heard the story of compassion and seeking to understand. And that's why yours is different. And that's why this must be told. Uh, Tell me when Unlearn actually comes out into theaters and we can see it. So we are in our, we actually do our last interview on August 4th. Um, And then we are going to be doing post-production and editing. So we are really, fingers crossed for the end of the year, we are actually raising money for it to get it to those editing spaces. Um, We have sponsorships available, partnerships available. There's things on our website that you can kind of go through if you want to be a part of it. Um, There's different tiers and things like that. But once that is done, we'll, we'll be ready to get to a distribution phase. And that's when we're looking for, you know, someone to maybe take us for streaming or maybe go straight to theaters, however it may be. But we really want to be in a platform in a space where everyone has access because we truly feel like it is a film that everyone needs to see to create that understanding. Um, like I said, it's not politically driven. It is not media driven. It is all about human interaction, human experiences, and people boldly sharing what they've gone through. That's the only way that we're going to solve this because don't stop watching the TV to solve this. Stop listening to politicians to solve this because neither one of them are going to do it. Neither, No, they're not going to do it. The only way to solve this is amongst each other and recognizing each other as 
human beings and not as other. Right. Right. We want to bring back the humanity, the compassion, the empathy. Um, I don't, there's a lot of greed too underlying as I've gone through this, just like hearing some of the arguments. There's a lot of greed there, a lot of selfishness. And I don't know why it's that way. I don't know why people are so greedy and so selfish. I don't know when we really just stop caring about other people. But if we could all kind of come together and just see both sides of it, we don't have to be argumentative. You don't have to be offended. And I think that's a part of it too. Social media sometimes brings us to like the land of the offended. Yeah. Yeah, it does. (laughs) The land of the offense. And you don't get points for being offended. And I've, there was one thing that I heard. um, Sometimes you may not like the message because of the way it comes across. But when you really sit down and take a look back at the message, you may want to reevaluate, at least hear where they're coming from. Because when someone's yelling at you, you know, you're offended by the yelling. But if you can take the yelling out and actually process what they said, is that something you need to work on? Possibly. Possibly. And like I said, you've taken out the yelling and just made it about human experience. And I'm so grateful and very proud of you for doing this because this took a lot of courage and your own humility because you had to approach this with grace and respect for maybe people that weren't showing you that. And I'm just, like I said, I'm grateful and thankful that you've taken this very brave step to do this. Thank you. Thank you. Tony, I am so happy that you've been here today. I would love to have you back, especially when we release this movie in the theaters. I mean, I cannot wait to see this movie. I think it's, I'm probably going to cry the entire time, but please come back when the movie uh, actually gets released into theaters and we can all experience it with you. Yes, I will definitely do that. Thank you. Yes. Wonderful. (laughs) I want to thank Tony again for joining me today and thank all of you for listening and we'll see you again next time. That's our show. Thank you all so much for spending your time with me and continuing to support this show, this community, and our endeavor to change the world one interview at a time. If you have any ideas for a new show or for a guest that you'd like me to interview, please reach out to me at audra at womeninthearena.net. Thank you again for all of your support, and we'll see you again next time. so grateful for each and every one of you and your unwavering support and your continued belief in this movement that has become much bigger than me, much bigger than just a podcast. It has become this forward momentum that we are all doing together. If you are ready or you know somebody that is, that is ready to tell your story and share your value with the world, please connect with me. 
you can reach me at audra at womeninthearena.net. I am so honored and thankful that you will share your story with me and I'll make sure that it is well taken care of. I will never stop thanking each and every one of you and I cannot wait to talk to you again next week as we share another woman's story and we celebrate her doing extraordinary things in plain sight. We'll see you next time. Thank you.